Hello, jobless and no job wannabes. This is the No Job Podcast. And today we're going to talk with a guy who actually changed my life. I'm talking about David DeSell. I met Dave in 2018. I was failing as a financial advisor at that time. And he came to the practice that I worked for and talked about the services he offers to financial advisors. And to be honest, I got more from that presentation than I think Dave could ever imagine or ever really even knew until now. So just to give a little bit of background, Dave is the president of the Model FA. It's a coaching platform which is dedicated to helping financial advisors get in front of more clients, grow their businesses, and enjoy a fulfilling life. To succeed at something that they want to do and really to enjoy holistic success that extends beyond the workplace. And listen closely when I tell you this. Listen very closely. It doesn't matter what your aspirations are. I promise you this. You can learn a lot from this man. So without further ado, please welcome to the podcast, David DeSell. How's it going, man? That was an awesome intro. I appreciate that. And to, uh, to your point at the beginning, you know, going in and speaking, you know, at your, uh, at your office and hearing what you just said, you know, a few years later, like that's why I do what I do is, you know, is to help people and for you to remember what, whatever I had said, because quite frankly, I don't remember <laughs> what I had said at that point, but the fact yeah. that it had an impact for you to, you know, a invite me on the show, you know, B uh, have it be memorable and, and C for you to continue to share that. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful for that, that introduction. So thank you for that. Man, I'm, I'm glad I was able to return the favor of doing something positive for you by saying those words because you sure helped me. And I got to say, even though I'm not a financial advisor now, what you talked about transcended the realm of financial advising. So I know that's your focus and those are the people that you help most of the time. But I knew that you'd be a valuable guest to have on this show for anybody who aspires to do anything just because of the kind of things you teach and the kind of person you are. So if you don't mind, I want to start at the beginning. Kind of a fun question. Can you tell me what is the first time you remember earning any money? When, when's the first time you remember doing something and getting paid for it, whatever it was? So my mind was going one place, but I think it's even before that, because when I you know first started working you know post-college, I was the uh, financial advisor, or I should say I was the quote, you know, landscaper who had cut his grass last. So I was the financial advisor who didn't necessarily practice what I preached in terms of saving and investing early on in my career. And I remember back to like when I was a child and I wanted to say, you know, go to the movies, right? My parents never like just handed me something. They would make me work for it, whether it was chores or some sort of task or whatever. And they would give me, you know, 20 bucks, you know, that I earned. And then I would go and spend that $20 bill and go to the movies, right? Mm -hmm. So what ended up happening without them realizing it, of course, without me realizing it is I was taught to go out, earn money, and then spend every dollar of that on something. And therefore the saving wasn't, you know, instilled. So I would say that's the first memory I have of, of making money. And in terms of a more legitimate job, you know, ranges, I mean, we could talk all day about these these other jobs, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll toss it back to you. Let me. So, I'm not 100% aware 
of every stop along the way in your journey to the point that you're at now. So I know you obviously were an advisor. What did you do anything between college and that? So um, when I was 16 years old, a good friend of mine, uh, Julian, we went to high school together and uh, he started at this company called West Marine. It's a retail uh, store for uh, all things boating. And, you know, so he was working there. I started working there and we had these people coming in to the store asking us how to buff and wax their boat and what materials they need or, you know, whatever projects that they were, you know, exploring bottom paint, gel coat repair, whatever. And, uh, Julian was really good at explaining it in a very detailed fashion to the point where the customer would say, well, can you just do this for me? Like, we don't, I, I don't know how to do this. So lo and behold, at 16 years old, we started a company called HD Marine, where from 16 to uh, actually through the internship as a financial advisor, I was doing both. I had my suit on some days and I was you know, working on the boat some days, but for you know, a five-year period, we were uh, buffing and waxing boats and doing a bunch of different things you know, with them. And over that five-year period, clientele continued to grow. We took over an entire pier um, in a place called Gloucester in Massachusetts. And, you know, business was going really, really well, especially for, you know, teenagers really. But um, that's what got me from, um, you know, my camp counselor job as, as a child, right. Right. Uh, Through the, through uh, my job as a financial advisor is the boat detailing and repair business. Okay. Got you. And so, in, on this show, we have a, a saying, everybody has to earn a living, but nobody has to have a job. And the idea is that for most people, a job is what they ended up doing in order to pay the bills, in order to be able to eat. We're all looking for work to do that's meaningful to us, or at the very least that we enjoy, something that helps us get up in the morning instead of making us want to go to bed at night. So did you ever have in your head the possibility of having a, a job or did you always know for you, it was going to be doing something exciting, doing something that meant something to you? I've outside of my camp counselor job, as I had alluded to where that was hourly, I've, I've never had a real quote unquote job. Um, I've always wanted to create something for uh, myself so that I can serve others and, you know, even going back to, you know, for a couple, two, three years or whatever, I was bussing tables at a restaurant while I was doing the boat detailing, um, you know, gig. And I was bussing the tables over the, you know, off months weather-wise. And I would notice things like there were other bussers who would bust the table slower or they little things like they'd put the salt and pepper shaker, like not where it's supposed to go. And then the wait staff would have to go and fix it. And I just... I would do it so fast and I would make sure that things were perfectly in alignment to where uh, customers who, you know, tip the wait staff would also tip me because they'd see me hustling. And then the wait staff would over tip me out what they're supposed to do because it was just going above and beyond. And that was probably the first instance right. um, alongside the, the boat detailing uh, business where I started realizing that if you, and you've heard the saying, right? You know, how you do one thing is how you do everything or how you do anything is how you do everything. So taking pride in, if you're going to be at McDonald's flipping burgers, those better be the best burgers that, you know, anyone's ever had because that translates into all other aspects of your life. So I've always had that entrepreneurial tendency. And part of the reason too, is I don't like to be told what to do. I'm an only child, right? (laughs) So, um, you know, it's kind of like in my, in my blood in that sense, Mm -hmm. but 
I think from as far back as I can remember, I've never wanted a, a legit kind of nine to five job W two type of job. It's just, it, it's not where I derive energy. I like right. to have some flexibility and I like to be paid for what I think I'm worth as opposed to hoping and praying that someone's going to see that and give me a raise. Sure. And you said a few awesome things there that I want to unpack. First of all, uh, you said having a job isn't where you derive energy. And I've never heard it quite said that way, but I so identify with that. Like jobs take energy away from me, more energy than they should, you know, more than the sum of the energy that you expend doing the work. It's like killing me. And I think a lot of people in this community can identify with that. But the other key component of what you just said is that you wanted to build something for yourself, serving others. I love the juxtaposition of yourself and others. I see business ownership, entrepreneurship as nothing more than taking ownership of your contributions to the world, as opposed to getting up under someone else's vision and helping them do whatever they want to do for the world, which could be great. But if you can't derive energy from that place, you're going to end up worse off rather than better. So those are just some insights I grabbed from what you said there. And um, so tell me about, so you, you, I know this because, you know, I know your background a little bit. You were successful in your internship at the financial advising practice we were both associated with. Um, tell me about how you got there. Tell me about uh, the internship and why you stuck around after it. So part of the reason why I wanted, so I knew I wanted to be a financial advisor at some point in college. And okay. it, was, it was really twofold. How I ended up at that particular organization was just luck through a career portal where you upload your resume and the recruiter reached out to me. So um, there was no rhyme or reason as to where I ended up, but I wanted to be a financial advisor for, for two reasons. Um, one, from my understanding, they made a lot of money. Uh-huh. Uh, two, they knew what to do with their money. So my background um, is more like blue collar in terms of my family. Sure. Um, you know, had enough money, of course, to like, you know, pay bills and get by, but nothing like super lavish. And, you know, there are points in times where, you know, it was stressful financially. So not only did I want to be able to solve that problem by making a lot of money, but I also wanted to know what to do with that money. Now I didn't act on that in the first part of my career, mm-hmm. um, but that was my intention going in. Um, yeah. so I did the internship and, uh, the internship in a three month period, uh, I made more money than I did in the boat business over that same period. So, you know, being able to go to work in a suit and have clean hands as opposed to getting dirty and, you know, doing that, it was just more appealing to me. So with the internship program, like did, did well with that. Um, I think it was like 20th in the country out of, you know, 2,500 or so interns. So it was like, okay, I, I, I got the hang of this. Um, you know, went full time and was there for seven years. And I love that I was helping people. I love that I was making good money. And then part of my um, uh, shift in my responsibilities was when I was 22. So a couple of years into it, I mm-hmm. took over our new advisor development program, which was a combination between uh, the internship program and anyone who converted from that internship or new hires. Um, and I took that over and I had that over a five-year period from 22 to 27. Got it. And over that period of time, there was like 350 offices throughout the country with this company. And 
I ran the program into the grounds. And if you're just listening uh-huh. to the audio, I got finger quotes up. I was a 22 year old leader, yeah. um, whatever, whatever that means. So we ranked like 300th based on production. Uh-huh. It was terrible. And it was just, a, it was a shot to my ego. And the mission of that program was to identify the future leaders of our firm mm-hmm. and to make sure that they're better off having met us than having not met us. Sure. So what ended up, ha- there was a, a few things that changed, but the, the main message that changed was the mission, where mm-hmm. what I found myself doing is if someone wasn't going to stay there long-term, I would just write them off and not help them out anymore. Sometimes it was conscious, sometimes it was subconscious, but it was like, well, they're not worth my time because they're not going to be here long-term. Yeah. So I switched the mission around to become, I want to make sure that you're better off having met us than having not met us. Right. And and also to identify the future leaders of our firm. So literally Mm -hmm. just switched it. And what I found myself doing is running more trainings on personal development. What I found myself doing is helping place them at other companies if they wanted to leave. And I felt myself actually caring about them as humans. And as a result, over that, you know, four year period after the first year, we got up as high as number one in the country for nine of the twelve months that they do the ranking. And um, that's when I had made my transition. And I think they finished it either number three or number five, once like, you know, the score hits the board, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and it all came down to like actually viewing these people as people and not just, you know, another cog in the wheel to hit certain production metrics. Uh, right. But oh, it was over that journey that I fell in love with the development of other people and kind of what triggered me to to make the change from there. Got it. Would you say seeing other people and potential clients and customers as people who need you to serve them is key to your success or key to giving you the drive to succeed? Um, Part of it, I would say that I get more energy if I'm just being honest from people, not that need help and guidance, but people who want help and guidance because it's it's a totally different dynamic in those conversations and that relationship. Uh And I think, you know, the other you know, piece of that is obviously serving others, but making sure that like I have really big goals. And I feel like if, like, if your goal is, you know, here at eye level and you're currently at chin level, I'm doing this for people who are just listening to the audio, the, the amount of energy that you can extend towards your goal is a difference between your chin and your eyes in that example. Mm -hmm. Whereas if your goals are astronomical, right and you're here, you have this much energy, right? So sure. And a, a way to put that is like, let's say for example, someone wants to get super fit and like get a six pack. Yeah. Well, you probably find yourself starting to see one and then going and having pizza and working out less <laughs> because you can see it right there. You don't have as much energy to expend yeah. towards that. Right. Um, whereas if you keep moving the chains forward, I don't think that a goal should ever be hit. I think mm-hmm. goals are simply just checkpoints mm-hmm. and confirmations that you're in the right di- that you're going in the right direction. But right. you constantly need to be increasing your goals to continue to maintain or increase the energy that you're spending towards those goals. Otherwise, complacency kicks in and mm-hmm. you take your foot off the gas. Yeah, that's pretty awesome that you see. It seems like you see energy as having more energy as a sign that you're on the right track. And that definitely makes sense. I can say back when I was at the firm, I was in advising for all the wrong reasons from the start. It's because I recognized in myself that I hated having a job 
didn't do the kind of research I should have done to find out if the opportunity as an advisor was right for me, uh, ended up there, uh, made so much less money than I did the previous year, just working the job. And one defining characteristic of my time there and my time doing that kind of work was I felt like a lack of energy. I always felt like energy was being taken from me um, and drained. But when you came to the firm um, that day, I sensed a lot of great energy on you and you knew how to articulate, you knew how to articulate the, the, the usage and the, the, the formation and the gathering of this energy. So that's one thing I really appreciated about you. So after you you figured out how to serve people and where your best energy comes from, how to succeed, how to get more work out of yourself, once you got there, and I know you were successful at the firm, what made you say, okay, now I don't want to do this anymore? So I didn't know what I wanted to do necessarily. Like I didn't know that I wanted to start a consulting company for advisors. I just, I knew that I didn't want to be an advisor anymore. And I think it was, you know, a couple things. Number one, the organization that we were at um, had a very much like a heavy sales-based culture in a service-based industry. And it just, it didn't, it didn't feel right. And I just got burnt out with that. Um, I also felt as if, even though you can have an amazing career, I want more than that, like a more entrepreneurial than just doing one thing. And we were limited in what we could do outside of that firm. Yeah. So I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I think this is relevant for folks that are listening to this that may want to know, well, you know, I don't like my job necessarily, but I don't know what to do. Right. Yeah. So I didn't know what to do either. Mm-hmm. I did a bunch of different stuff and I, and I wish I could remember everything, but um, I got contracted to sell uh, this was all in, like, as I was phasing out of being an advisor and figuring out what I wanted to do, I did anything from trying to generate leads for businesses. And I had no idea how to do it. I was just trying to figure <laughs> it out and like partner up with people where I would go sell it and they would do the fulfillment. Mm-hmm. I was trying to sell like knickknacks online, like with drop shipping and stuff like that. That didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, I got, uh, <clears throat> contracted to sell uh, software for, uh, an auction company. Um, which was just so random. Um, I, I, I drove, uh, with Uber. Um, Uh I dug, I dug holes for a telecommunications company. Now, mind you, I, I was used to wearing a suit for seven years, making six figures. And then I was, you know, digging holes. Um, so there was a multitude of different things that I just, I felt lost at that point in my life and I didn't know what to do. And there were times where I'd go out and, and do those things. And there were times where I'd, sit on the couch and kind of feel depressed because I just, I wasn't living towards any particular purpose. Mm-hmm. And if you're not living towards your purpose, it's like, well, what's the point? What's the point of living? But I think, yeah. you know, you just need to try a lot of things and kiss a lot of frogs, so to speak. And ultimately you'll, you'll, you'll certainly find out what you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, hopefully if you stick with it, you'll stumble across something that, you actually do want to do. Right. Uh, but that, that was kind of the in-between phase from, you know, what I was doing from a stable perspective to, you know, what, what I'm doing now, there was a, a lot of stuff in between. And that was probably a, a six to eight month month process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So again, where did the, when did it dawn on you that, or was it, 
was it just one of the things you tried consulting for advisors and you said this works or did it dawn on you somehow that you wanted to give this a shot? So it was, okay, I, I, I'm kind of good at this based on where, where the program was brought right over that five year period. Um, so I knew I was good at it. And then, uh, you combine that with the fact that I had a lot of ideas that when you work for a large company, you can have the best ideas in the world, ideas in the world, but they're just slow moving and they don't necessarily allow you to execute on everything. So I just kept hitting roadblocks and I could see the vision as to how this could be amazing. And they weren't buying into it because they're, they're just like stuck in the box. Right. Right. Um, so it was a combination of knowing that I was good at it in that instance anyways, and combining that with the opportunity that I saw on how this age-old system could be improved and innovated and redeveloped for you know people our age, you know, in their twenties yeah. and thirties, as opposed to you know the industry is you know riddled with a bunch of you know fifty and sixty-year-olds where it's like, hey, this stuff worked, and there's principles that still work, but like right. I don't learn like that. Yeah, and if you want to stay relevant, you need to shift. You need to change. So those two things combined. Ultimately, ultimately got me to, you know, arrive at consulting for advisors now. Okay. So how'd you get started? Because I think this can really parallel to anything anyone wants to do. Say they figure it out, right? Say they get a message from the heavens and they know exactly what they want to do. They don't know how to get started. What are you, what do you think are some transferable principles when you were just getting your feet wet in this and uh, about getting traction and getting going? Yep. Um, one would be find someone who's done what you're looking to do, at least in some way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. and ask for advice. Right. If someone wanted to ask me for advice for something, I'm going to take that call 11 out of 10 times because it shows initiative. And if they go and implement the advice and come back and share the results and ask for more advice, I'm going to continue to help them out because again, that gives me energy seeing someone who's hungry and implements and succeeds. So I would say, find a mentor is number one. Number two, I never read books in middle school, high school, and college. I would literally just find like, you know, the cute girl in college that, you know, thought I was cute too and have her summarize it for me before class. Right? Yeah. And I, I just never read back to what I said earlier. I don't like being told what to do. So if I had this book assigned and I didn't see the value in it, I'm like, well, screw this. I'm not doing that. Like, I'm not doing that. Um, but if you want to get better at sales, Go on to Google and type in best books on sales. Right. And, you know, I I listened to all my books. So this year I listened to like 170 books this year um, on a a multitude of different topics and listening to it started off at like 1.5 X speed. Now I'm at 2.5 X speed and I'll listen to the same topic from multiple different people. So I hear things multiple times and I'll immediately use that for, you know, social media or um, in my consulting so that. I actually learn it and it stays as opposed to just consuming it. So I would say mentor books. And then, uh, the trap that I fell in at the very beginning was I started listening to a podcast called the MF CEO project by Andy Frisella, which this is actually his company here, uh, first mm-hmm. form. And, um, it's an amazing podcast and I you know, was listening to him and I, I found myself just being kind of like a information zombie where I had a bunch of information in my head that I consumed, but I wasn't actually doing anything. So then what I did was I went back to episode one and committed to taking action, uh, at least one, uh, you know, piece of action from every episode. And that's what was transformed more granular than that. 
So outside of finding a mentor, learning, um, you know, from podcasts and, and audio books or regular books, if you like to read and not listen, uh, I just knew who my target market was, obviously advisors. And I didn't go and try and sell them right away. I tried to add value to them. So I was literally waking up at four in the morning and from like four to seven 30 or so, I was sending out hundreds of LinkedIn connection requests to financial advisors, inviting them to my Facebook community where, so I would try and get them on multiple platforms from LinkedIn to Facebook. Um, I was posting content on both platforms and then I had a private Facebook group where I would add value on a daily basis to build relationships and let them know that like, okay, the stuff that I'm sharing is legit if you actually implement it while also getting them across multiple platforms so that my relevance increases because I'm omnipresent. doesn't matter where they log on, they're going to see me. And you probably experienced that too and being connected. And ever since you launched your podcast, I see your posts all the time. So your relevance is just increasing to me as well. Um, and then from uh, 7.30, if I had any appointments that day, uh, from you know calls that would be scheduled from that because I would offer a free coaching session. You know, just kind of eating the proverbial you know what sandwich, uh, and just you know putting in that that sweat equity. But then whenever my meetings was were done until nine, ten, eleven p.m. at night, I went back and I drove for Uber mm-hmm. to pay my bills because right. what that what that and again as a reminder, I was wearing a suit making six figures for seven years before that. Mm-hmm you know? Yeah. Um, but you gotta have that piece of humble pie and do what you need to do to you know, actually pay your bills. Because one thing I did not want to do is I did not want to come out and be super salesy because, uh, I needed to pay my bills. I needed to be resourceful and figure out what other ways can I make money so I can do this the right way right. and add, and add value, uh, before I go in for an ask. Cause if I'm making enough relational deposits with folks, right. When it's time for me to make a withdrawal, they're going to allow me to do that. Whereas if I walk into a bank for the first time and say, Hey, my name is David and I want to make withdrawal. And they're like, you don't even have an account yet. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. Right? And, and humans are no different. You have to make enough deposits to where a withdrawal is justified. So mm-hmm. to recap, I would say, find, you know, a mentor, someone that you can uh, ask questions to uh, learn through podcasts and audio books or books and take action. And then know what, how it is that you make money and mm-hmm. go after those people, but add value first and make sure that you're being resourceful and your pride isn't getting in the way to do what you need to do to make money, to pay your bills. And for sure. me, that was driving, driving for Uber. Right. It's, it's hard. I know there's no getting around that piece. And so, so often we want to think things will happen just because we really want them to happen. It, we think that just because I hate my job, if I quit it, something else is going to happen for me. <laughs> Not so. It doesn't work like that. It certainly does. And I experienced that firsthand. So something occurred to me while you were talking about driving Uber, digging ditches, having gone from a six-figure job for several years. What was your family saying at this time? What were the friends saying, the people around you? What did they think? Um, most of which uh, were supportive. I'm, I'm blessed in that my family and friends... Uh, I mean, they love me. Right. And, yeah. and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Uh, however, uh, there were instances from like, you know, mom and dad and aunts and uncles or whoever that, you know, constantly tried to encourage me to go and get a job. Yeah. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't get it. Like I'm, <laughs> I, I would rather be broke on the side of the road and begging for money in an entrepreneurial way 
then go <laughs> and, and then go and and get a job, right? right? And but my whole family, for for the most part, um, you know, some of which have been entrepreneurial, but for the most part, their their current status is they they're all they all have jobs, mm-hmm. which is fine. And I don't judge anyone who has a job. I don't judge anyone who's entrepreneurial. It's just what is going to make you happy and where do you get energy, right? The energy right. piece again. <clears throat> but a lot of times they were encouraging me to get, you know, get a job, right? And that was in probably the first like six to nine months or so where I was probably the most vulnerable to, you know, give up and, and get a job. But it was that commitment and the dream that I had for myself, the dream that I shared with others that kept me going during those times. But at the end of the day, like hearing that stuff from people, even though they're being helpful, right. it does it does actually kind of hurt. I'm just kind of like realizing this now. Um, it does kind of hurt when they say the go get a job or suggest because the way I interpreted that at the time and that I'm interpreting it now is a lack of belief mm-hmm. in me to be able to accomplish what I want to accomplish. And I know that they're just being protective in that moment because yeah. that's what their job is. Uh, no pun intended. Um, and, but as I'm thinking about it, it kind of shows a lack of belief, which then instills additional resiliency in me and a chip on my shoulder to say, no, like watch and see what I got and just enjoy the show. And I want to, in a respectful way, I, I want to prove you wrong. And you fast forward to, to now and, and I've proven a lot of people wrong and a lot of people right who did believe in that dream. Right. Um, because things are night and day compared to you know what they were just a few years ago. Yeah, I on this show I always define work as and the good work, the kind of work we want, as using your energy in alignment with your passion to build something that's meaningful to you. And it certainly seems like you're in that place, and that's that's why you're an inspiration to me, and I'm sure to other people who are listening now. At the top of the conversation, I mentioned you'd inspired me, you changed my life, and you did that with a few things, but here's one simple thing you told me. You told everybody in that room, but I personalized it, that that I took and that I went and took action on that changed things for me forever. I would not be sitting here right now if you didn't say this. You said to that room, you said, put your face in front of a camera, start talking, and post it. You said, put your face in front of a camera, start talking and post it. And I think when you said that it was meant to get people over the fear of presenting themselves to the world because we were talking about marketing as it related to advising. So the next week I started doing that and I did it for several weeks and people were telling me they liked it. They enjoyed it. I called it Wednesday Wisdom. They People mm-hmm. were coming up to me when I saw them say, hey, I, I liked your post. It was really inspirational. You, you know, you know, every time, and I don't think you know this, but every single time that you posted a video, I would text Eddie Ritchie and yeah. be like, yo, <laughs> he's crushing it. Like he's great behind camera. Like make sure he keeps doing this stuff. So I, I, I didn't remember that I had said that until you just brought that up, but I do remember you being pretty much the only one in that room that actually took the action mm-hmm. uh, and, and did it, and you got great feedback. But I was a I was a super fan behind the scenes with, with Eddie <laughs> on your on your behalf. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. I know you guys are buds, and um, yeah. What would you say to people who 
are afraid because I find that people are afraid to show themselves to the world as somebody who wants to do something different, right? Yeah. They don't they don't want to come out as somebody who wants to be an entrepreneur. They don't want to come out as somebody who wants to take something other than the beaten path. Um, what advice would you have for those people? I'll give some canned advice that I think is just a staple in mm-hmm. that feedback. And I'll give an example that I share with, with everyone who's looking to put themselves out there. Number one is um, the point in time in which you realize that other people's opinions don't matter is the point in time where you actually feel free and like loose and like, like you're on a dance floor and don't care what anyone's you know thinking or saying, you're just breaking it down. Right. right. Um, but also in terms of putting yourself out there, starting a business, you know, putting out content, there's three circles of people that you're going to experience and it's going to start in the center, work its way out and come back in. So the first circle of people are your friends and family and um, the people who know you the best and they're going to bust your chops. Why? Because that's their job, right? Their, their job is to just bust your chops. And sometimes it can be playful. Sometimes it can be hurtful, um, but they're going to bust your chops. Okay. There's the second layer of people that you know of, and they know of you, but you don't, it's not like you chat every day. It's not like you had a childhood together. Like you and I are in each other's second circle. Okay. And typically that second circle, what happens is they're super supportive of what you're doing. They may not pay you or buy your stuff, but they're going to be supportive of what you're doing. They're going to side chat you. Maybe they don't, they just toss you a like. Um, But those are the people that take notice as to what you're doing. Then you have the third circle of people. I'm literally drawing these circles on the table. Uh, (laughs) Then you have the third circle of people who don't know you and you don't know them and they just come across you. And immediately, if what you're doing is of value, if what you're doing is coming from a grateful place and not salesy and shysty and, and whatever, those are the people that are going to start to do business with you. Okay. Yeah. And then you're going to start sharing, you know, the successes, people are going to start seeing some successes. And then that second circle of people, they're going to start doing business with you, or they're going to start collaborating with you like you and I are right now. Sure. Okay. And then the first circle of people, they're going to start being super supportive because they realize, Oh, like, we busted his chops at first, but now he's actually legit. I want to be on the right side of history and make sure that I'm being supportive. And maybe they're, you know, buying your stuff, whatever it is that, that you're offering. Um, but they're certainly telling other people about you and they're sharing your stuff and they're they're being super supportive. If you can make it past that initial circle of people busting your chops and realize that someone who is doing more than you, who is more successful than you, and someone who is where you want to be. Those people don't try and knock you down. Those people don't bust your chops. It's always the people who are below you, either currently or will be, and they want to keep you where they're at. Those are the ones that try and pull you back down. And that's not necessarily a conscious decision on their end. Like, like my mom or dad, who are suggesting that I you know, get a job, they're not intentionally trying to pull me down. They're just trying to protect me and trying to love me. Right. But when you realize that what they have to say doesn't matter and you just need to stick with your gut and, you know, charge forward, persevere, be tenacious, 
they're going to look back and be like, I'm really proud of you for doing that. Even though they may not have been supportive or may not have, you know, had the same belief as you did because it's not their beliefs. Like it's your beliefs. So how can you expect someone to buy into it as much as you? Right. Right. So again, three circles of folks and people's opinions don't matter. And once you realize that you feel true freedom. For sure, man. Thank you so much, Dave. I appreciate your time. Um, Again, the impact you made on my life, I think you could make on anybody else's life who listens to this podcast if, like you said, they take the information they've learned and they do something with it, if they change something about their lives based on the wisdom you provided. Guys, I'm vouching for this guy. You need to go follow him. You need to digest what he says, and then you need to go and do it. I promise he doesn't want anything from you. He is literally just trying to help. Dave, please tell the people where they can find you and where they can connect. Appreciate that. Uh, so if you just literally go on to Google and type in David DeCell, D-E-C-E-L-L-E, um, the whole first page will be on my social media, some articles, you know, website, whatever. Uh, the platform that I use the most um, is Instagram, which is all, also on that. But the handle itself is uh, just David underscore DeCell, D-E-C-E-L-L-E. And uh, toss me a follow, shoot me a message, let me know that you know, you, uh, you know, listen to this episode and happy to chat, happy to be supportive from afar. And, you know, however I can be of service, you know, don't hesitate to ask, you know, I have a saying that is stuck with me that was shared with me a while ago that says, um, you have not because you ask not, right. I literally have a tattoo on me that reminds me to ask for something if you want it. And the worst that can happen is someone says no. Uh, and the best that can happen is you get what you ask for. So, uh, if there's anything that I can do or insight that I can provide, or if you think you can be of service to me in any way, it's not like I know everything. So if there's yeah. a way that you could help me, um, you know, don't, you know, be afraid to just touch base and slide in the DMS and let's have a conversation. Yes. And also, by the way, people, I know it's, you might not have mentioned it because it's, it skews toward financial advisors, but I did listen to the Model FA podcast. I love that last episode on mm-hmm. being a great conversationalist. Uh, plenty of great content in this guy's universe for you to check out. Again, thanks so much, man. I hope you have a great night. Um, love to have you on the show again sometime and really appreciate you being here. Appreciate the invite and grateful that, you know, started with a, a random talk at at your office a few years ago. And I think it shows the power of, staying connected and staying relevant and putting yourself out there on social media where, you know, it's not like you or I need to explain to each other, you know, who we are like, Hey, remember me? You, you literally reached out about the podcast and I was like, yeah, dude, like, let's go, you know, happy to help. And, you know, thanks for giving me the platform to, to chat for a bit. So, uh, grateful for, you know, the opportunity and excited to see where your journey takes you. I know you're, you're working hard and you're doing your best to, to help people and, uh, God and the universe rewards folks for those efforts. So uh, excited to see where, where you're headed, man. Thank you, man. Appreciate that. God bless and have a great one. All right. Take care. All right. So guys, we're just coming off of our interview with David DeSell, president of the Model FA. Now that was a valuable interview. There were a lot of nuggets there, a lot to unpack, but I'll try to keep it brief 
some things for you to take home and think about, but don't think about it for too long. You got to do them if you want them to have any effect in your life. First, when Dave talked about working in the, in the boating yard, cleaning the boats, buffing them, and even when he was a waiter, he said people noticed how hard he worked, how diligent he was. And the word that came to mind for me was integrity. And I think a lot of us discredit or devalue the importance of integrity in our chances at success, right? We think integrity, we think morals and integrity are a separate quality that have nothing to do with our ability to succeed. But if you want to succeed the right way, if you want to succeed and have a clear conscience, you need to have integrity. And that has to boil down to the way that you, that you pour a drink as a bartender, to the way that you scrub the tables, to, to the way that you pour on the Parmesan cheese as a busboy. The way that you do anything is the way that you do everything. If you try to cheat, if you try to slack in the little things, that habit will creep into the big things. Next, and this was a key nugget, Dave talked about finding where your energy comes from, where you get the most energy, and following that path. If it makes you tired, if it, if it literally makes you want to go to sleep, chances are it's not what you're supposed to be doing. Chances are it doesn't have to do with your purpose. But if it makes you feel alive and invigorated and awake and it gives you energy, it's something to at least explore. And last, I want to say, don't be afraid to explore your instincts, right? Don't be afraid to invest a little time and a little money. You don't have to go overboard, but test your instincts, test your interests, see if they might be the beginning of a path that leads you somewhere amazing. We want to again thank Dave for coming in and dropping those nuggets on us. He's officially a friend of the show. I hope that you got as much inspiration and information from that interview as I did. Again, I'm Najee Simmons, and this is the No Job Podcast. See you next time. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.